are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Lauren Scott, interviewing Dale Alquist, author of The Story of the Family. Dale, thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you, Lauren. It's great to be with you. Thank you. I would first like to start out by asking you, what was the inspiration for writing this book? Well, to be, I'll, I'll give you the very honest answer. The inspiration was Ignatius Press because they asked me to write the book. <laughs> but uh, they, they came to me because they were looking for uh, a book uh, of Chesterton's writings on the family, and they figured that I was the one to do it because of uh, my pretty pretty strong familiarity with G.K. Chesterton. I definitely have done a lot of work. Uh, I've written five books on Chesterton, so... And what what draws you to G.K. Chesterton? Well, you know, it's a passion. It started with the first book that I picked up by by him, which was some 41 years ago. I started reading The Everlasting Man. I was drawn to Chesterton because of C.S. Lewis, who openly admitted how influential Chesterton was on his own thinking and on his own writing. In fact, uh, C.S. Lewis said he became... Uh, a Christian, really, because of reading that book, The Everlasting Man. He, he said, uh, an atheist, he said, uh, who's serious about his atheism cannot be too careful about what he reads. <laughs> and so uh, Lewis, you know, moved from atheism to Christianity, really, because of Chesterton's great rational arguments to defend the faith. And when I started reading Chesterton, I, I knew I had encountered a writer unlike any that I'd ever read before. He was truly uh, a complete thinker. Uh, he, he put it all together. Uh, he, he, he draws on a wealth of knowledge of literature, history, science, art, uh, poetry, psychology, everything. He, he uh, has this marvelous way of, of weaving everything together. So he's, he's not a specialist. Uh, he is in the best best meaning of the of the word a, a generalist I know that the Bible talks about the dynamic of a family and how a father should lead his children and his wife but what specifically does the Bible say about the family in relation to society well I think we can uh, certainly understand that right right there in the Ten Commandments one of the commandments is that we we honor our father and mother and as, uh, as the Bible itself points out in, uh, in the epistles, uh, St. Paul says this is the only commandment that comes with a promise. It says it, that, that your days may be long. And so there's something about honoring the family that promotes health, as it were. So just like it, it promotes physical health, its, its societal health comes from nurturing and honoring and respecting the family. That's why there's a commandment against uh, adultery, because marriage is something sacred and basic to hold the society together. So it's clear that uh, uh, it's fundamentally woven into our our moral foundation that we, we take care of the family. We, we honor it, we keep it sacred, and then it, it, good things follow from that. And I think Chesterton... Um, in his philosophy, points out the same thing, that if the family falls apart, the society falls apart. It's the basic brick of civilization 
the family. How has America neglected the importance of the family in recent years? And what effect has this had on our society? Well, you know, keep in mind that G.K. Jackson was writing 100 years ago. And he be writing about the things that we're going through now because he was watching the beginning of it. He was starting to see what was happening then. And he saw that it was starting with uh, an easy acceptance of divorce. Uh, he said the, the inevitable result of frivolous divorce will be frivolous marriage. And, uh, and he said, you know, when, when, the mar- when marriages start falling apart, again, you know, that's going to be damaging to the family because it's going to be the, the children are going to suffer uh, in society that accepts divorce that does not understand that the relationship between husband and wife has to be honored and kept um, because that is foundation for order in society. And, uh, and so it starts there. That's, you know, when our societies are accepting divorce, then they start accepting all the other things that have been detrimental to the family. And uh, those include, uh, it started with uh, contraception, because he said contraception would lead to abortion. And it would lead to uh, uh, disrespect for life itself. Uh, it would lead to uh, uh, sexual perversion. Uh, and it, it would lead to uh, a very low view of, of women. Um, and all those things were, were very prophetically fulfilled. And then he also pointed out that with the downfall of the family, with or, you know, the... Uh, the pressure on the family coming from two other major sources, and I think the book really does a good job of pointing this out. And, and I'm just you know using Chesterton's writings to uh, to lay out this argument. He says that the two most detrimental things to the family have been public education and um, the workplace. The uh, the idea that the life outside the home is more important than life inside the home. And, uh, and so that's been a, an enormous source of pressure on the family is, um, you know, the commercial world that uh, seems to draw everyone away from uh, the, the sacredness of the home itself. And then, of course, with public education, he said you've given more power to the government than it's ever had in all of human history when you let them educate your children. In fact, they come in and basically kidnap the children. <laughs> he calls it, a, he referred to public education as kidnapping. And uh, that, that instead of teaching the oldest truths, they're just teaching the latest ideas, the latest fashions, the latest fads. And then he said a child in school today is exposed to uh, educational philosophies that are younger than he is. Kind of going off what you just said about public education, uh, to what extent should public education be held responsible for teaching morality to students, or should this solely be the job of the parents? Well, traditionally in this country, public education upheld the moral teachings of the parent. 
the, the local school boards were composed of parents, and the teachers had to answer to the parents uh, in an official manner of what, what they're teaching to the children. Now, parents are basically kept out of the education process. Their concerns are not heard by the uh, school boards or by the the school administrations, and uh, they have driven wedge between parent and student. So um, this, is, I think, represents part of the, the really the moral downfall of the country is that the schools don't teach morals. What is the danger of letting the school system teach lessons that should be taught by the parents? And how have we seen this spiral today? Well, um, the, the, the danger is that they, they, don't, they don't represent the parent. I mean, a, a teacher is supposed to be in loco parentis, in the place of a parent. They're there representing the parent. And as soon as they don't, um, they're really in violation of the relationship that the parent has entrusted to the teacher. And, uh, and what the problem is that parents are afraid to say anything, they're afraid to do anything, and, and if they try to, they're, they're stifled and stymied. And, uh, you know, until parents take control of their kids' education, uh, we're going to continue to have uh, a societal uh, defragmentation. In your book, you talk about marriage and divorce, and it's no secret that divorce has skyrocketed like crazy in recent years. Why do you believe this is? Well, it's, uh, it is part of the, what Jess Chester said, the result of frivolous divorce will be frivolous marriage. People go into marriage without the idea that they're making a lifelong commitment. They're, they're going into marriage thinking that, well, there's a back door. I can always get out of this. Um, and the whole idea of the lifelong vow—we've we've lost we've lost the sacredness and the really high uh, value of 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 the vow. And uh, Chester said, you know, it used to be that marriage and mailing a letter were irrevocable things. <laughs> you know, <laughs> once you've mailed a letter, that's it. Uh, and uh, uh, and marriage was supposed to be the same thing, and it was supposed to be irrevocable. Um, and it goes back to the teachings of Christ himself. You know, what, what God has joined together, let no one break apart. And we just don't have that mentality anymore. We just don't respect marriage as something permanent. You are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I am Lauren Scott, interviewing Dale Alquist, author of The Story of the Family. You can buy this book at chesterton.org. Children are losing their innocence sooner these days. Is this a poor reflection upon society or parents or maybe both? Yeah, well, I think we have to agree it's, it's both. Um, if, if parents are not um, working to preserve the innocence of their children, they... Uh, they are contributing to the the loss of the innocence, and of course, we it's it's by using uh, using screens as a substitute uh, form of parenting and as a form of babysitting. Uh, it, it used to be that uh, you know what was broadcast would also represent a 
civil uh, and and normal morality, but that's no longer the case. Uh, and so we have an entertainment industry that is actively undermining uh, the work of parents and really promoting a loss of innocence in, in children. You talk about the importance of children having toys that are considered dangerous, uh, such as a sword or a bow and arrow. Why is this important, and what really is the deeper meaning behind prevention of these toys? Well, um, let's answer the first question, the, the second question first. The, the prevention of these toys is part of the feminization of, of men. Um, boys uh, have to be taught to be men, and part of that is uh, to defend the things that are important, starting with defending the home, defending the family, uh, defending the city, defending the country. And that means uh, a weapon. And the weapon is uh, should be used as a tool of defense, but uh, like any important, uh, you know, uh, any important thing of life, uh, children will use those things as toys. They, they will pretend to be adults when they play. They'll play it being cowboys and being soldiers, being knights, being, being warriors, being Robin Hood. And, uh, and it, it, Chester would argue these, are, these have been healthy things throughout history, uh, men training their sons uh, how to use a weapon, but the, and they start by playing with, with those weapons. But then they start to realize at a certain point that this is a is going to be a serious thing. But Cheshire would argue it's also a romantic thing. Uh, the stories of the knights, the stories of of great soldiers, those are romantic tales because they involve fighting evil and defending good. The corruption of society. Uh, we can see does happen at a young age, instilling these things in young children, not letting them play with toys that they should. How does society view children, and what sort of impact does this have on the family in general? Well, I think um, the the political world, the educational world, they they don't look at children as belonging to families anymore. They just look at them as uh, individuals that they want to use for their own purposes. Uh, they, they don't rec- recognize and respect the family as the basic unit of society. And so by, by really teaching children things that normal parents would not teach their children, they help young people because they are they are purposely teaching things that normal parents would not teach to their own children. What role does birth control play in how society views children? Well, uh, again, it's, it, it, Chesterton argued about this. You know, as soon as you separate the um, the, the act of, of love, of separating sex from birth, you are making sex simply a selfish act and not a sacrificial act. It's not. It's not truly an act of love if it's not an act of sacrifice. If it's if it's just for self gratification, um, then it, it 
it will have ramifications from that. And as Chesterton argues, uh, children suddenly become an accident. Children become uh, a problem that has to be disposed of if the purpose of sex is not open to to life and and to conception. And uh, so, so children are coming into the world with parents who resent them for being born. Um, that's a serious problem. That's a very serious problem. In Chapter 2, you talk about the corruption of what is sacred within the bonds of marriage. What is the correlation between sexual immorality and the decline of society? Well, I think we've, we've kind of touched on that already, but you know, one of Chesterton's uh, prophetic comments is from 1926. He says, the next great heresy is going to be an attack on morality, especially on sexual morality. And, um, and, and he says the madness of tomorrow is not in Moscow, but in Manhattan. And this was him writing in 1926. And he's referring to a very commercialized society that um, is based on everybody who's getting what they want, uh, based on greed and selfishness and pride. And, yeah, if that carries over into our sexual practices, then that carries over into everything else as well. We, we just are promoting a society of selfishness. You talk about the freedom of marriage in your book, and you say marriage is a bond because it is not arisen in bondage. And so the, very much this idea that marriage is freedom. It's not the opposite of what society thinks today. It's kind of like you have to enjoy your last bit of freedom before you get married. And so my question is, was there ever a time in American history where we did have this accurate view of marriage? And where exactly was the turning point where we started believing the opposite? Well, I think Chester would argue, uh, not just in American society, but every society, in fact, in world history basically arguing the family has always come before the government, uh, and and that the government does not rule by consent, it really rules by coercion, uh, whereas the family begins by consent. Uh, it begins with a free act between a man and a woman uh, that they want to enter into. They are, they are naturally drawn to this, this bond. They want, they want to make the bond. And freedom means you act on something in order to uh, bind, bind yourself to it. Everybody who does a free act, in other words, who has made a choice, has then abandoned all of the choices that they were going to make because they've chosen the one thing. That was the act of freedom. And uh, I, I just would argue that most people have always understood this throughout history and in any strong moral nation. Uh, that was the understanding that uh, a man and a woman freely joined themselves in this in this bond, and uh, that that was would be played out in American history. When did it start to uh, to go bad? Well, I think I think it's the 20th century. I think it's the time Chesterton is is writing where he starts to see that uh, marriage is not um, a, a bond that is freely chosen by lovers, but just a bond. Uh, in terms of former slavery to get out of, and that it's oppressive to women, and, and 
and um, old fashioned and uh, uh, connected to religion and. And those are all the the early complaints that came in the uh, in the twentieth century that we've now seen the fruit of a hundred years later. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. That's actually all the questions I have for you. <laughs> well, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I just want to point out about this book that it is um, it's really pure Chesterton. I've drawn from sources that a lot of people haven't seen for. Uh, you know, ever <laughs> since they were first written. So, uh, I mean, some of it's drawn from familiar material that, that people uh, who read Chester know about. But there's a, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, journalism that uh, has not ever been uh, republished since it first came out. So, um, I think if anybody with any interest in Chester will will like the book. But also, anybody interested in this subject, Chesterton will always shed new light on these things. All right. Well, thank you so much. It really was an honor to have interviewed you today. Well, it was a pleasure for me. God bless you. I hope to see you uh, in person next time I come to Hillsdale. Our guest has been Dale Alquist, author of The Story of the Family. You can buy this book at chesterton.org. This is Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM, and I'm Lauren Scott.